It's time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Brew Strong. Greetings, cretins. <laughs> I like how you lean into the camera for your greetings. Got to project from the deck. Yeah. So that's ah, good to be good. good to be back. Another Brew Strong, another interesting topic. And uh, more discussions about our good friend, John Blickman. Absolutely. I'm uh, preparing a live stream now on uh, Facebook. Oh, we'll see how that it. goes. Found the button, eh? I found the button. <laughs> All right. There we go. I think we are live on Facebook. It looks a little uh, delayed, but, uh, or no. Yeah. Maybe on. Spider Wrangler will be up there. <sighs> Hold on. I'm still on a preview. Oh, add a title. I bet Bevo misses us. <laughs> I miss Bevo right now. <laughs> um, because uh, she would have done this for us. And That's right. Us, and I wouldn't uh, be making a mistake here. Oh, yeah. Media is now streaming live on Facebook. There you go. It still says setting up on my end, but, you know, uh, done. Redirecting to Facebook. Uh, cool. Jason, uh, Justin said we could do it. So there you are. We are live on Facebook. Not like the greatest... Uh, thing in the world but uh it's working okay okay so hey howdy hey everybody um it's uh john palmer and jamel zanishef uh back in, back in back in uh sort of studio i'm here at uh, heretic brewing company in my office and john is flying at home over over the the great uh, lakes world. over the great lakes he's mm-hmm. flying over the great lakes <laughs> Yes, from my personal space station above the geosynchronous orbit. <laughs> Calling from the space station, the International yeah. Space Station, is John Palmer. Um, <clears throat> well, and you know, we've been doing a lot of this. We've been uh, uh, I'm, I'm a bit zoomed out, but um, <laughs> or zoomed in. I don't know. Uh, I've got a, a, a meeting tonight with uh, Bam out of uh, Texas. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna right. answer some questions there. And I know you've been doing a number of meetings as well. Yeah, I was. I did one just last week with uh, Mark and the guys from um, Central Florida. Gainesville. Yeah, Mark Tamerkin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen him in ages. I, I think I'm gonna do one with him as well. Okay. Uh, we really should start recording these things. I don't know if they they're recording them and posting them, but uh, a lot of times I I feel when <laughs> when I am speaking. <laughs> I am dropping pearls of wisdom here. And so, so they should be recorded yes. and they should, you know, this, this precious information should not get lost. It should be, it should be archived, preserved. I think the yeah. Smithsonian should be, uh, you know, batching these up and putting them somewhere. Which, that makes perfect <laughs> sense to me. Yes. Actually, yes. you can submit your podcast to be, you know, stored by the Smithsonian. I think, 
I think there's, you know, you, you just like some fee or something, and then they will archive it and add it to their archives. Oh, other than impressing the kids, I don't know what they would do, but, uh, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know that uh, my kids would be impressed. Be like, that's right. Yeah, there's the, the possible downside we really don't want to explore. Yeah. Which is, but, which is, it would be stored forever and yeah. we'd, be, we'd be humiliated forever in our, <laughs> in our fine. Uh, Knowing me, I'd get that one vital piece of information wrong and preserve it for pros- posterity. For your posterior? Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would be an ass forever. You'd, you'd yes. be pull it, pull it from your posterior and it would be <laughs> for posterity forever. Yes, yes. Well, that's pretty much how all these Zoom meetings have gone for me. Uh, I'm sure I've said something idiotic in every single one of them. So search them out if you want to see me being an idiot. Uh, or just, you know, check us out on, uh, the bring network. Uh, we're going to try and catch up on these shows too, because we've, we've fallen right. behind because of pandemic related issues. Uh, and so, and it's mainly my fault, I think. And then yeah, mine fault. too. And, yeah, yeah. We, definitely we, mine. We both had uh, reasons we couldn't make it, but happy to be here today. And we're here because of our good friend, John Blickman, uh, without his right. support, uh, over many years now. Um, this show wouldn't be brought to you. So he's he's actually uh, paid for the show for over a decade. <laughs> Sounds strange when you say it out loud, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think uh, you know he's one of the most brilliant uh, minds in uh, in brewery engineering, and has created some amazing things that have made your brew day uh, easier and better. And uh, so I like to think of him as innovating your brew day. And yep. uh, if you appreciate uh, that he's paid for the show for over a decade, so you have all this information for free, I would highly suggest uh, emailing him at feedback at blickmanengineering.com and tell him how much you appreciate it. And while you're at it, you know, browse their website, see if they got something right. new and cool because they have an amazing array of equipment from uh, you know, more, uh, you know, sturdy, basic equipment at, uh, at the uh, Anvil Brewing. And right. they've got, uh, you know, the, you know, their, their higher end stuff with a lot more bells and whistles. And then they've got, uh, you know, the, everything to the, the pro, pro line size. too. Yeah. yeah. They're doing a pro size uh, brewing equipment now and bringing every bit of innovation and quality that you, you trust and know uh, Blickman Engineering for. So check it out. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, stuck fermentations. Uh, yes, that's something that I think every home brewer uh, experiences, or maybe they did in the past. Because <laughs> I get emails from people, and they're like, "Yeah, I, I spent a year listening to shows and studying, and now I brewed my first batch, and I got best of show at some five hundred <laughs> beer competition." I'm like, wow, where was all this when I started? Yeah, really. I, I had some really crappy brews to, you know, to pull through. Um, but uh, a good friend, uh, Matt Monson out in uh, Virginia, he wrote back, back on December 5th, 2012, I am really on the emails. And I, I swear <laughs> that the only reason that this uh, is so far behind is because I... Um, put it in a special folder for great show ideas. And then I promptly lost the special folder or forgot it even existed. And I came across it the other day and I'm like, Oh wow, those are really good questions. Uh, thank you, Matt. So, uh, Matt wrote, 
<clears throat> on homebrew forums, I constantly see people asking if their big barley wine fermentation is stuck, uh, what they should do. <clears throat> Invariably, someone will tell the brewer to add enzymes to the fermenter. I immediately scoff at the idea for the reasons that I bet you're thinking of right now. How do you stop the conversion, etc.? But it also leads me to this concept that I'm calling beer ethics. Let's say I use a massive amount of extra amylase enzymes in a mash and convert every single starch into a fermentable sugar. Can this truly be called beer? What will be left over? Does the final gravity of a beer actually indicate something about sugar starch content or does it also include something about proteins, glucans, or other? I'm sure something like this would taste like beer, wet, hoppy, grainy, alcoholic, carbonated. But will it be like beer's bizarro twin? Just another <laughs> avenue to explore in this relationship between attenuation, sweetness, alcohol, and final gravity. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. Um, I, I think I've only, I mean, maybe once or twice homebrewing did I add enzymes to a fermentation generally right. um if i used any enzyme extra enzymes amylase enzymes it was in the in the kettle not even in the mash i've added it in the mash but generally in the kettle um and we've used it a couple of times here at heretic uh when we're kind of experimenting mm -hmm. on uh possibilities we don't use it in in our regular line of beers and general production do you do brewed ipas much and use it there um we've done one here and i've done uh, you know a couple with friends um you know for collaborations and such right and really um you know the analyze enzymes a number of us aren't really sure that that's necessary to make a good brewed ipa uh, because we're already able to attenuate uh, further. And, you know, you can add uh, glucose, essentially. Dextrose is, is glucose. Yeah. You can add that, ferment it out, versus adding an, a, a, the amylase enzyme and trying to convert uh, more of the maltose into glucose. And I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're... I don't know. I think, you know, it's not that necessary maybe to use amylase enzymes um, uh, on smaller beers that you're trying to get dry. Right. right. Um, so, uh, John, what is a stuck fermentation? Well, the stuck fermentation is when your yeast uh, reached the end of their nutrients and ceased reproduction uh, and the high growth phase that uh, is when they do the ma majority of their attenuation. They're taking in sugars, producing energy, uh, reproducing new yeast cells. And uh, if they, if they run out of uh, nutrients, you know, the, we talk about sterols that, you know, they need oxygen to begin the fermentation to generate sterols to, to replenish their cell membranes and so on and so on. Well, uh, at the beginning of fermentation, they take, they do that. They take in these nutrients and they store them in the vacuole and they share that vacuole with the daughter cell. And so as they reproduce, they will get down to a point where they can no longer divide. And then their, you know, life for them as they know it ends, they go into stationary phase where they stop fermenting and wait for the next batch of wort to come along 
so they can replenish themselves and start all over again. So a stuck fermentation is where the yeast stop fermenting, stop consuming sugars, and going into the stationary phase. Right. So a stuck fermentation can be, it can happen in any fermentation whatsoever. It can right. happen in a small beer. It's more likely that it, it, it ends in, uh, it's a stuck fermentation in a higher beer. Stuck meaning you anticipated uh, more attenuation than you got. Right. And the right. beer is, seems to be slowing down, not really fermenting. It's kind of chugging along. And uh, most people experience that in, in bigger beers. And it's caused by either a lack of healthy yeast or right. the environment uh, for healthy yeast to ferment fully. Right. So, it gets too cold, for example. Too cold. Um, lots of unfermentable dextrins. And that's why the attenuation is less than you're expecting. But generally, uh, you know, it is in the higher gravity beers. And it's caused usually by a lack of, uh, if, if you've pitched enough yeast, it's caused by a lack of three main nutrients, which is oxygen, zinc, and on something where you're adding a lot of uh, adjunct, if you're adding a lot of simple sugars, uh, free amino nitrogen is critical. Right. So in an all malt beer, uh, generally you have enough free amino nitrogen, uh, you know, depending on, you know, growth conditions where you got the malt, but you know, most, most maltsters, you know, they're paying attention to this and, you know, any good, you know, uh, malt will have uh, plenty of free amino nitrogen. But if you're adding a lot of uh, dextrose or something like that, you're going to, you might need to supplement. <clears throat> um, right. We right. did a beer recently called amnesia juice that we, uh, dosed with, uh, dextrose, uh, multiple times, uh, at, at certain points with, um, and we added, we had a, a, a special blend of nutrients and free amino nitrogen in with the dextrose that we, uh, dosed it with, uh, and we pushed, um, California ale yeast to go to uh, 16 and a half percent. So wow. it's all possible. It, it just, you need to provide the ideal environment. Uh, for the yeast, uh, for them to ferment fully. Uh, let's see. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I'm a little grab a beer. Lemmy yeah. today. Yes, <laughs> I need a beer. Where's my beer? Doing this early in the morning. I can't. Uh, I can't be drinking now. And this is early in the morning because I love beer, guy. You know. Right. Um. So. What can we do to fix a stuck fermentation? Uh, you know, the idea of enzymes, well, you know, the only thing the enzyme doing, if you add amylase enzyme or, you know, people have talked about adding Beano to your, your fermentation. Right. If it's stuck, it, you're already stuck. Converting the sugars in there to, you know, simpler glucose, sugars, yeah. simpler sugars. Uh, breaking down, uh, you know, some of those things, uh, longer chain polysaccharides into simple sugars isn't going to necessarily create fermentation or get fermentation going again. Fermentation is stopped. Once, it depends how stopped the yeast are because uh, in a high alcohol environment, when the yeast have already decided there's nothing more to do, they flocculate, they shut down. There's really difficult to get them started again in a high alcohol environment or, you know, environment that will 
get them out of the flocculation mode and into individual cells that can uh, ferment. So right. the enzymes are just breaking down those, those starches. So they're creating simpler sugars. Um, it's useful. It can be useful before fermentation, but, uh, you know, once the yeast have stopped, it's high ABV, you know, forget it. Uh, Matt was asking, is it ethical? Well, <laughs> for me, I think, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, the malted grains that you're using in your mash, they are containing the, the you know, the same or similar enzymes to what you'd, you find if you're adding amylase. Uh, you know, there's amylase in, uh, in the malt. And uh, right. you know, so you're already, you're already using enzymes. Uh, you know, it's just another tool. Um, you know, it's, it's like using a pitch of yeast. You're using a concentrated, you know, yeast slurry that somebody has made for you versus exposing your beer, your work to the air and hoping for right. to, to right. fall into it. So it's just another tool. It's perfectly ethical. Uh, I know there's a number of um, breweries where, you know, they improve their efficiency by adding um, uh, enzymes to their mash to increase the extract and the yield that they get. Um, you know, it isn't for most of us, you know, smaller guys, but uh, there are people who, who definitely do it. <clears throat> um, let's see. Um, and, you know, you can compare that to adding uh, dextrose or other simple sugars. Um, adding dextrose, I mean, you're adding glucose to your, to your wort uh, to ferment right. and ferment higher. And, you know, is that more ethical than adding enzymes and converting to glucose? Uh, I don't know. I, I think uh, either is fine. Like I said, just a tool. Um, right. Yes, people have called me a tool before. So uh, <laughs> apparently a beer tool as well. Uh, and uh, is, it, is it beer? His question is, is, can you call it beer? Well, oh yeah. the interesting thing is, um, I think it was uh, 2006 or something like that, the TTB, uh, in a, a letter of understanding, I think with the FDA, I don't know, the, the, the definition of beer uh, kind of changed, the legal definition of beer. And um, beer, uh, a malted beverage, a malt beverage, is anything that uses malt and at least, uh, I think, seven pounds per hundred barrels of uh, beer, of hops. Sounds like a Budweiser kind of thing, you know, seven mm -hmm. pounds per hundred barrels. Um, that is called a malt beverage. Anything without the hops and malt or, you know, not using both of those is called beer. So if you make a hard seltzer, let's say out of, you know, corn or rice and there's no hops, it's called beer. And it seems backwards. Exactly. It seems backwards. And people go, no, 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 that's not, that's not the way it is. Because if in the past, uh, and I've talked about this on the air, if you went and got yourself a uh, you know, wine cooler, it said malt beverage on it. Yeah. Now they say beer. Because it's been, it's been reversed. So if you get a, a can, I think a White Claw, it says beer. Huh. I bet the TTB made a typo and just <laughs> ran with it. Just, they didn't want to make their mistake. Yeah, so um, it was kind of like, well, people were, I guess, complaining that uh, malt beverage, you know, but the, the reason why uh, they went to using malt in all these uh, 
you know, uh, wine coolers and things like that was uh, it was cheaper. If you use wine or use spirits, it's very expensive. Um, if, for example, in California, we're, we're looking at making uh, our own canned cocktails. We're going to release it in, in about a month. And um, in California, it's about $7.50 of tax on one case of 12-ounce cans just because we're using uh, spirits for it. If we used beer uh, or malt, it would go down to um, 40, 60 cents, 40 cents, something like that. 40 cents on a case versus $7.50 on a case. Wow, the that's alcohol a big difference. level would be the same. It's, you know, it's based on below 50% alcohol and above 50% alcohol. Below 50%, it's all, so it's, it's very expensive. So that's why these things, all these things went to using malt. And then they all started calling themselves malt beverages. That changed, uh, and now they are, should be labeled as beer. I mean, there might be exceptions people haven't uh, quite caught up since 2006 or whatever it was. Uh, but beer is anything else. Malt beverage is, uh, has to have malt and seven pounds of hops per hundred barrel minimum. Wow. Be called malt beverage. Fascinating, is it? Yet I can also label my my uh, my products with ale, lager, beer, stout, porter. Um, it ha- uh, I think lager. It has to have one of those designations on it. Uh, so I can call okay. it beer, but it's technically a malt beverage, and it's not a beer. Fascinating, isn't it? Strange. Ah, uh, the world. <laughs> The world of government and uh, yeah, and, no uh, kidding, licensing and all that. Wow. Um, all right. So yes, it would it would be called um, a malt beverage technically, uh, but it is still a beer. Um, I thought you know it was he had an interesting question. You know what is left behind? Oh and yeah, we did a show uh, recently, or maybe it'll be in the future. I don't know. Um, where we talked about what's what is uh, produced during fermentation, uh, and uh, let's see here. Normally, uh, you you would add uh, your your enzymes to the mash or to the right. wort, and then you you halt it by boiling at a certain point. So right. you're not over driving things and uh, you know really thinning out the beer. Uh, and it takes a good amount of time. If you're doing a brewed IPA like you were talking about, you know, we add it to the kettle and you got to wait, you know, even at optimum temperature, it just, just takes quite a while. You got to, you're going to keep stirring it and it takes a while to get full activity. Um, and I guess depending on the enzymes, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, John, but theoretically you can get everything, you know, all the polysaccharides down to just glucose if you have oh, a yeah. mixture of enzymes, right? Right. There's certain, you know, starches that are polysaccharides that the uh, uh, amylase enzyme won't act on until right. they're broken down. I mean, that's why there's beta amylase and alpha amylase. And, the, mm-hmm. you know, once a beta cleaves, then the alpha amylase can go to town. And, uh, right. So, but with a combination of uh, enzymes, I, I imagine you could just make a big puddle of glucose. Uh, here. Yeah, yeah. You could reduce all the starches down to... Uh, to to sugars to simple sugars that would ferment, mm-hmm. um, 
but there's a lot of other well not a lot but there is some other content in the sure. in the wort as well oh, the proteins uh, the proteins yeah. you have polysaccharides that are not hexoses they're mm -hmm. uh, pentoses and those are not fermentable mm -hmm. so you know those and the, and the bonds on those sugars would be different than the hexose sugars so i think like the amylo amyloglucosidase wouldn't act on those Right. Um, but if you, you had a, have, if you had enough, if you had the right combination of enzymes yeah. and the right sequence, right, you your beta glucanases and all the other ones, yeah, you could you could reduce right. it all to simple sugars. Right, right. Um, uh, but you know, most of the flavor remains. The flavor of the mash is not in the sugars. I mean, other than sweetness, which gets fermented out, right. The flavor is other compounds. Yeah, your uh, Maillard reaction compounds and so on. Yep. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, when you're, when you're talking about these enzymes, you're mainly breaking down uh, maltose into simpler sugars that uh, the yeast can, you know, more, more readily take up. Yeast will consume glucose very quickly. It's a very mm -hmm. simple process for them. What the yeast do normally is they break down these sugars into glucose themselves and then utilize right. the glucose. So they're doing that process. If you do it for them, uh, it's much easier for them. You, it's like, you know, cutting up a, a steak, uh, yeah. you know, uh, for, for your child. It's much easier for your child to consume that steak than if they need to figure out how to use a knife and fork. And, you know, when they're young, that can take a while, you know, for them right. to, to chop right. up the steak. Um, Let's see. Uh, you know, if you if you did this, you know, your your final gravity would drop below zero. Um, you know, right. if you if you fermented it out, you you could get your final gravity quite down, and uh, it would probably seem uh, fairly thin as well. Um, you know, if you if you uh, add enough enzymes and break everything down, it, it would come pretty thin. But again, your your flavors coming from your alcohol, uh, your fermentation from your hops. Um, you know, there's the, these, uh, yeast, uh, flavor active compounds. So, um, you know, at the end of fermentation, you've got, you know, some of these, uh, long chain sugars left over, you know, right. They're going to add more of a fullness. Um, not a whole lot of sweetness, not a lot of flavor either. Maltose really doesn't taste like much at all. Uh, pure maltose. It's just a sugar that's, you know, maybe two thirds as sweet as, um, you know, uh, table sugars. Uh, you're going to have proteins left over. Uh, they're yep. your uh, linear chains of amino acids. Uh, you're going to have alcohols and you're going to have, most importantly, your yeast derived flavor active compounds. So those ethanol, CO2, uh, carbonyls, your aldehydes, ketones, higher and uh, fusel alcohols, I like to say. Yep. Esters, uh, VDKs, diacetyl, and others, um, fatty and organic acids, and then right. sulfur compounds. And that's the main part of what's left over. Uh, you know, if you were to ferment out, if you were to break everything down with enzymes, and and uh, uh, you know, you'd still have all that flavor. So the flavor isn't coming from those being long chains. That's that's more of a body thing. Hmm. So. Uh, the other common uh, thing that people will say when you have a stuck fermentation is, uh, hey, how about uh, 
adding champagne yeast to the right. beer. They figure that the the fermentation is stuck because the yeast can't go any go any higher in the alcohol content. There, you know, they've they've reached their limit. Mm-hmm. And, right, uh, which which can be true. Mm-hmm. The the problem is if the environment isn't proper for the yeast to get started, they will pretty much do nothing. Uh, right. I've experimented, you know, back when I started. You know, and, and more recently, I've given this a try to see if it works. And you can, uh, you know, even if you, you get a yeast active in, say, a starter, and then you add it active to a beer that is high in alcohol and doesn't have a lot of the appropriate uh, sugars, it'll often fail. I, you can have some success. Um, you know, the high alcohol... I think I was told early on that, oh, you know, once it reaches like 8%, 7-8%, you can't really get fermentation started with a new yeast again. But I think that that's wrong. I think you can. It's when you get into the 11, 12, 13s that mm, is really difficult to get it started right. again out of the yeast. But if you were to, you know, convert, you know, let's say for some reason, usually these things are stuck because the maltose wasn't consumed. That's what is the residual sugar and why you have this high gravity that's not finishing out. It's not that it's, you know, these super high chain sugars, you know, and and adding an enzyme is going to break that maltose down into the glucose and perhaps pitching a fresh active slurry of champagne yeast or something like that might do it. But um, you generally don't need... Uh, those yeasts, unless you're talking an ABV over, you know, let's say, if you're trying to push it you know, to 15 and, and above. Right. Um, and if you are looking, and most yeast can be pushed to 15%. Um, you, yeah. but you, if you're going to be pushing for that percentage, you should have pitched that yeast earlier. And I've always said champagne yeast, I mean, if, if there's a lot of glucose left, yes. But um, if you're, you're trying to ferment maltose, there are better yeasts for fermenting maltose than champagne yeast, I think. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, uh, White Labs has their WLP-099 uh, super high-gravity ale yeast. That's better suited to, to a maltose fermentation. And that you know goes as high or higher than any champagne yeast will. So uh, you, know, you might try that. But the... None of the, none of these yeasts work and work well without uh, you know the appropriate environment. So, right. right. Uh, I used the analogy before of you know shooting a bow and arrow and trying to hit a target. You're trying to hit this target gravity, but your setup of the bow, uh, you know your your pull of the bow, your angle of the bow, uh, you know the arrow that you're shooting, all this stuff is dependent, you know, it, it, that's your setup. That's your, uh, you know, your mash profile. That's your, your, your nutrients, your zinc, your oxygen, uh, other micronutrients, uh, your pitching rate, your yeast strain selection. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, all this uh, adds up to your setup for this shot and whether you're going to hit the target or not or whether you're going right. to be wide of the target. And if you, if you have a good setup, fermentation will go and you will, you will hit your targets. So, right. um, you know, once you, once you loose that, that, that arrow, 
you know, once you pitch that yeast, you're off and you're going and you have far less control at that point than you did before. You, your control is in setting up the proper fermentation, not in trying to goose the fermentation along once, once it's started. Right. That becomes difficult. You have temperature yeah. you can control. Um, you can do an extra dose of oxygen, things like that. But uh, really, um, that becomes, uh, you know, uh, tricky. Yeah. I, you know, you've, you've brewed high gravity beers many times over the years and, um, you know, your triple IPA your, um, was, was an excellent example where, um, I, you three. know, I, yeah, the evil three, I thought that was a 7% beer. You said, no, it's a 13. And it's like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, so smooth, you know, but you, you did, you attack that beer by, by getting the setup right, right. you know, in terms of your, uh, your pitching rate, your aeration, you know, uh, controlling the mash and, and, you know, and controlling the sugars and the nutrients that the, the yeast needed for a good fermentation. And it went, it, it went right through, didn't get stuck. So often I think stuck fermentations are a result of, as you, as you were saying, of poor preparation, you know, not pitching enough yeast, not uh, providing the right conditions for the yeast when, when they were pitched in terms of aeration or temperature and what have you. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I can't stress enough that that's, that's the way, you know, to make a, make a great, uh, you know, uh, high, high gravity or high alcohol fermentation. Uh, Jimmy uh, Gurr was asking, well, what percentage does it become malt liquor? I don't know. Um, <laughs> it depends on the on the state, state. of the U.S., I guess. Um, yeah. You know, because a lot of those names uh, are are used uh, specifically for state uh, related you know issues. I, I know in Texas they had a whole thing about. Uh, I don't know if they still do, but you had to call something uh, a bock or a bale or a lager, depending on the ABV. Yeah, if it was above that, six or something, yeah. Yeah, they still have like two different, you know, licenses for, you know, uh, Travis was telling me something about uh, beers above 5%, you, you need one license, and beers below 5%, you need another license. And so people end up having to get two licenses if they want to brew something below 5%. So it forces people to brew everything above 5%. Um, I, I thought that that was pretty fascinating. So. Yeah, a lot of these these laws have unintended consequences uh, as to as to what the the beer will uh, be. Um, well, I think you know, going back, how do we fix a stuck fermentation? I think is the is the key question. Right, right. And you, you've touched on it, but right. I think you know, the, pitching more yeast often isn't the answer once fermentation is done. Really, um, you can do a couple of things. Um, you can add uh, uh, some additional nutrients and hope that the, the yeast are still active enough. If you see your fermentation slowing down, you can add um, you know, another dose of oxygen. Right. You can add, uh, you can resuspend the yeast, you know, swirl your carboy or your bucket or whatever, or you know, pump it around and get the yeast uh, you know, mixed up in the... Uh, uh, in the, in the beer, uh, add, add temperature, add warmth. Warmth will, you know, speed things up. It allows the, you know, gets the yeast more active. Uh, and, uh, you can add something like superfood or, you know, um, 
superfood is uh, you know thirty percent uh, diammonium phosphate gap and okay. uh, a blend of vitamins or firm fed is another another favorite one that's diammonium phosphate thiamine amino acids sterols uh, uh, some proteins uh, some micro elements uh, vitamins and uh, inter- organic and inorganic dap. And then they also have a, a DAP-free version of uh, firm fed, which you want the DAP, the diamond phosphate, uh, you know, essentially takes the place of fan. Uh, and if you're making a high adjunct beer, if you're adding more than, if you're, all right, <laughs> if you're trying to, <laughs> it's, it's such a complex topic, topic to talk about. Yeah. If you're trying to brew something, let's say, that is, uh, high ABV, and it's got like 10% uh, adjunct. Um, for example, on Evil 3, um, we use like maybe 8% uh, dextrose. Uh, not not a whole lot. So it's just a normal fermentation, and it attenuates well. If if I was trying to do the same beer with, you know, 30% uh, uh, dextrose or 40% dextrose, um, I would want to add uh, some more free amino nitrogen uh, right. for the yeast because otherwise it's probably going to crap out at some point and uh, leave a sweeter finish than I want. And I, I see a lot of people with that, that problem when they're trying to make these bigger beers. Um, so I would, uh, you know, look at adding uh, the free amino nitrogen and all that because the yeast will just ferment the glucose and then they'll shut down and not really ferment much of the maltose. And that's what happens. The glucose will go first. So um, you can do that. Uh, If you're uh, adding diammonium phosphate, DAP, or a nutrient that has it, you have to be careful because if you add too much, uh, especially early on, your your, uh, fermentation will go like a rocket and you will get uh, solventy hot you'll get a lot of fusel alcohols you gotta be very careful about that right um but you know in in fixing a stuck fermentation i think your your best bet is not necessarily enzymes because it's going to produce more glucose that's true if, if you're if you if you didn't get your balance of of enzymes correct to start with or balance of sugars correct to start with if you if you if you're trying to ferment a 20% all malt beer, you're going to struggle. Um, you know, there's, there's only so much maltose that they'll, that they'll ferment. Um, but if you're stuck, you could add uh, oxygen again, resuspend the warmth and the, and a, and a nutrient rich, uh, uh, the firm fed I think is, is good stuff. And that um, will, if your yeast is still in suspension active, you know, some of them, they'll they'll pick that up and they'll go that will give them the strength the 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 reason that you're adding um some of these things is that uh and oxygen is that gives them a, a boost to their sterols and their 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 lipid layer and helps them stave off the higher alcohol which is poison to them so right. that's that's the reason why you do it um scott uh was asking can you add o2 latent fermentation without oxidation uh, yeah, absolutely. This is another one of those things that uh, when I started homebrewing, I'm sure, John, it was the same thing for you. It's like, 
Well, once you've added your yeast, you don't add any oxygen. You never add oxygen. You want to avoid oxidation because you're going to end up with a stale beer. And mm-hmm. um, really, I think that's more true when you're talking about, uh, you know, after fermentation is done and when you're talking about packaging, right. um, when there's very little yeast left. Um, when, there's, when there's yeast and they're active, and you, you hit them with more oxygen, they will keep going. They'll take that oxygen up in a heartbeat, and you really won't have uh, an issue with uh, you know, any oxidation in, in the beer. Yep, yep. I got to get rid of the cat here. Sorry. <laughs> that a euphemism for something? You got to okay. toss the cat? Yes. You done tossing the cat? Throw it out the window. Yes. Uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I have just uh, the um, comments on what you were saying. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's stuck fermentations are usually more about re- getting the yeast to restart uh, rather than breaking down mm-hmm. uh, more sugar for them to eat. Mm-hmm. It's um, so enzymes is one possible cure, but it's it, that's a small percentage of stuck fermentations, I think. Usually it's a matter of uh, reinvigorating the yeast. And as you say, that is a question of perhaps adding amino acids or oxygen or other nutrients that they need to restart their growth phase and start attenuating and taking in sugars. Well, and and one of the things, uh, you know, one of the things I think we should do a show on is how to set up to, to brew you know, a, a beer above 15%, you know, 15, yeah. 20% beer or over 20% beer. And, um, you know, one of the, the, the keys is either limiting the amount of maltose that's, that's present by, uh, you know, using an enzyme and driving, you know, more uh, into, uh, you know, like a, a simple sugar like glucose or, uh, you know, first ferment the maltose. And this is, this is, I'm more of a fan of this is, you know, make a beer that would be, you know, eight or 10% and ferment the maltose, you know, you get the yeast to go through all those. And as they're running out of maltose, then you start introducing the simple sugars, the dextrose. Uh, You know, we do, um, uh, I I actually made a dextrose calculator, (laughs) lactose calculator and a dextrose calculator. And I can tell you exactly how much dextrose can be dissolved at what temperature and what volume it will take and how much water and, um, uh, you know, what, how, how that will affect the temperature of whatever you're, you're adding it to and you know, where it'll stay liquid and where it goes, goes hard on you. Uh, so we'll, we'll make a, a, a slurry of a concentrated slurry of dextrose and, uh, you know, firm fed and, uh, you know, uh, zinc is really important to your fermentations as well. But, um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll ferment out the maltose first and then do uh, small doses of the, uh, the solution uh, periodically as, it, as the yeast is going. And timing it correctly, and, you know, you can add oxygen too, but timing it correctly and adding the oxygen and adding the this, this slurry, you can really push uh, a yeast, uh, you know, to its maximum. Yeah. Um, did I mention it earlier? I think I mentioned on the last show about, yeah, we got oh a one to go to sixteen and a half percent. Yeah, um, which 
you know, generally they say, but you know, all, all these are kind of guidelines, just like temperature and everything else right. is kind right. of a guideline on, um, how you, you, uh, you know, what you can expect. And, uh, you know, it's like, again, shooting the arrow, you can expect if you set it up properly, this kind of arrow, this kind of bow, you should be able to go this distance and kind of hit this, this target. And that's, you know, essentially what it's doing. And then, you know, I would just shoot myself in the, in the foot with the, uh, with the, with the arrow. So, you know, just, you know, there you go. Yep. What else about stuck fermentations? What, what was the, your first Super stuck true. fermentation, John? Oh, um, I, I forget. I mean, it must've been 20 years ago or more. Um, but I've, I've had more often, you know, the, uh, diastaticus type of fermentation problems than stuck. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, the it's usually you know, a matter of it was a matter of under pitching, mm-hmm. and um, so just you know two packets of dry yeast instead of one packet made a world of difference uh, for those you know seven percent beers that would be like on the borderline for you know one packet of yeast to handle um, doing two and they would they would ferment out fine. Um, right. You mentioned zinc. Zinc is, I think we should elaborate on that a little bit. Um, zinc is crucial for fermentation in that it is an essential cofactor for one of the enzymes that breaks acetaldehyde down into alcohol, mm-hmm. into the ethanol. And with, with ins- usually, usually yeasts have enough zinc, especially if you've bought the yeast from you know a commercial source. But when you start repitching yeast, you know, fermentation mm-hmm. to fermentation like you do at Heretic, uh, this be, you can run into zinc deficiencies where right. um, you know then without zinc, without the yeast cell having sufficient zinc they can't break down the acetaldehyde so that's where that's where the zinc additions to a stuck fermentation uh, may help uh, fix it yeah uh, well and <clears throat> you know it, it has a lot to do with uh, you know the reproduction of yeast as well and and one of the things that uh, we found was that most of the nutrients being sold were not, didn't have sufficient zinc. Um, oh, you know, okay. we, we did some measurement of, uh, uh, of our wort. And actually, we, we took it to our, our friends at the local uh, Anheuser-Busch plant, uh, oh. only about 10 miles from here. You know, brewers help brewers. And, and they're yeah. brewers. Yeah. Um, uh, they're good brewers. Um, they... Uh, test our work for us and and the uh, nutrient even with the nutrient addition the zinc was insufficient so what we do now is we add a a zinc uh, monohydrate um, uh, to our to our work takes very little you can overdo it with the with the zinc but what i found is that you know when people say oh i've got a sluggish fermentation i've got you know a problem with you know the beer's finishing you know they go uh, fermentation should go fairly quick. I mean, you know, you shouldn't be weeks into a fermentation with it bubbling, you know, once a minute. Right. right. I hear lots of stories of that. And usually the issue is not enough zinc. Uh, you know, it, it really does help, uh, you know, with fermentation. And, you know, a second dose of oxygen. I like to do it um, once they have uh, done their, their growth phase. And then give them a, a hit of oxygen to help replenish the the sterols and the lipid layer. 
So um, usually I'll go, you know, eight to 18 hours in, I'll hit them with extra oxygen. Okay. And, you know, they, they're always saying, well, that's safe, but they say, oh, don't add oxygen after that. You can add oxygen after that. It does change things. It'll make the yeast kind of lag for a bit as they take mm-hmm. up the oxygen, but they, they love oxygen. And yeah. They'll take it up and then they'll, they'll get going again. So um, you, you, you can definitely add more oxygen. Um, yeah, well, think about yeah. open fermentation for that matter. I mean, mm-hmm. their oxygen's available to them the whole time, and it doesn't hurt the beer. It doesn't oxidize the beer. The, the, where oxygen is a real detriment is after fermentation. Yeah, and packaging. And I packaging. think, again, you know, back in the old homebrew days, you know, there wasn't as much, uh, you know, attention to the packaging. And right. people relied on, you know, uh, bottle conditioning and stuff like that. And, you know, there was some some issues and maybe maybe that's it. You know, there are some effects of adding oxygen during fermentation, don't get me wrong that can produce certain compounds that maybe you don't want, but, you know, used in balance um, and right. especially in these high gravity beers and high alcohol beers, uh, it's, it's a useful tool. Uh, Ronald was asking, uh, what about the use of magnesium in high gravity beers? Uh, you know, is that the same effect as zinc, John? No, I wouldn't think so. I mean, um, the, the malt supplies a lot of magnesium. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the numbers I've read, you know, they require about four ppm, um, you know, in terms of for, for, for fermentation, um, and the malt will supply about seventy ppm. So there's should be sufficient magnesium mm-hmm. in uh, typical wort, um, even it if it's used, a high adjunct wort. It is used by the yeast in a similar way. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know the exact. Going yeah. <laughs> California, you got to have, you got to have uh, sensors on every light. You, you know, if you don't move enough, I get so intent on, uh, on the show. Uh, Neil was asking, uh, here's a question, Jamel. If you happen to pitch at too low a temperature for the given yeast strain, is just raising the fermentation temp enough to get it going? Not really a stuck fermentation, more of a non-starter. Assumes wort has proper nutrients in O2. I know I've had this happen, and it didn't recover, so I added additional yeast after the higher temperature became stable. Yeah, I, I actually, Neil, I've, I've had that, uh, that issue too back, um, boy, uh, back in the day. And, uh, and actually, I think we had, we had an issue similar to that here at Heretic where uh, one of our, our glycol uh, uh, actuated valves you know remain stuck open, open. Yeah. god knows what reason i think it was a failed uh, uh rtd connection that uh you know caused it to happen and um so the tank got you know down in the 50s just right after pitching and uh you know it, so it wasn't fermenting and what we ended up doing was uh stirring the stirring the fermenter you know pumping everything around you know, and uh, bubbling more oxygen through. And, you know, once we get the temp up, it's very difficult to get the temperature up on, you know, a uh, hundred barrels of beer, oh. uh, you know, with no heating elements present. Um, 
I've had more success in small tanks. We actually have a little five barrel experimental tank, uh, use propagator in it, and I put heating in line on there. And so you can heat in that one. And uh, by doing so, generally then, you know, fermentation will often kick off. If you're in an environment, a, a nutrient and a sugar rich environment for the yeast, and you pitched it and it was cold and they just didn't really get started, by warming up, and you know they really should start back up again if they were truly healthy and the environment's right. Mm-hmm. Um, be, be, just because they will, it may not be as active a fermentation, but what I've seen is that you will get it to ferment, it will get going again, uh, and it is is possible to uh, to, to take it up. Uh, pitching additional yeast once it becomes temp stable—that's also you know a viable option, um, especially if there's no alcohol already produced by the yeast. It should just be like, um, you know, starting again or starting up originally. The, uh, the, if all the other yeast has fallen out and you have the ability to rack off of that, either dump, bottom dump, uh, if you're commercial or if you're home brewer and you're, and you don't have that, you could rack the wort to a second vessel Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, reoxygenate, pitch a fresh, you know, make sure it's warm enough, pitch a fresh, uh, pitch a yeast and do that. And you definitely should be able to get it going then. Uh, I think, you know, yeah. uh, it's a good question, Neil. It's kind of, kind of the opposite thing that we were, than we were thinking of. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other advice on, uh, uh um, high fermentation, stuck gravity, stuck yeah. ferments. No, I think <clears throat> I think those are the main points. Um, it uh, look and setup is key, and then um, and kind of resetting up or re, um, restarting, you know, the fermentation by by taking it back to uh, the proper environment, proper conditions for the for the pitch is a, is probably the best way to get it restarted. Yep. Well, there you go. I'm John Palmer himself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for, for listening in and, uh, or watching and, and seeing, seeing our, yeah, not beautiful faces, but seeing our faces, uh, and, uh, spending some time with us. We're going to try and set this up for, for Tuesdays around this time. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we got a lot to catch up on. Where we know we're behind on shows, we we apologize. This all pandemic thing has kind of messed us up. Oh, Craig wants to know where do you get zinc? Uh, we we bought it uh, by the industrial uh, hundred kilo sacks, and uh, uh, so um, uh, they use it in uh, they use it in uh, uh, like cattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get they feed it to cattle to improve the cattle health. Um, so, you know that's the one place to get it. I think you can get uh, zinc uh, uh, supplement tablets or something like that, and that tends to be uh, zinc heptahydrate. So you have to use a bit more because it's got more water in it. But right. uh, I think we didn't we do a show on zinc additions. If we didn't, we should. I have tons of information, lots of data. We should plan a zinc show for next week. <laughs> I, I can't have it ready for next week. Oh, yeah. what, what do you think I am? Uh, a genius, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, so uh, 
thanks again for listening. Uh, make sure to uh, uh, reach out to our fine sponsor, uh, Blickman Engineering. You can email John at feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. Tell him how much you appreciate him uh, sponsoring the show. Tell him how much you appreciate his, his genius in, in, in making brewing equipment. And, you know, if you got time, just check out the cool stuff on the website. You don't have to buy anything. Right. Right. I'm just saying, you know, just uh, you know, spread the good word about uh, how kind they've been over the last decade plus in paying for this show. So you don't have to. All right. Very good. Until then, everybody, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong, everyone. Bruce Strong, everyone.